answer this question. What is the meaning of the cross? Good Friday, in case you uh, aren't acquainted with the church calendar, what that means. Good Friday is when Jesus was crucified. He was crucified on Friday. And he rose from the dead on a Sunday morning. Right? That's why Easter is on a Sunday, and Good Friday is now. What is the meaning of the cross? Why did Jesus die? I want to go back in the scripture readings we heard to the passage in Luke, which talked about Peter denying Jesus three times. Now, what do we know about Peter? Peter was one of Jesus' key followers. And he was bold to follow after Jesus. And when Jesus was arrested in the garden, that's on the Thursday. We did prayer in the garden last night. On the Thursday night, Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane after praying. When he was arrested, Peter was ready to fight. He had a sword chopped off the ear of one of the men who had come to arrest Jesus. Right? Jesus' disciples, they loved him. They were committed to him. Earlier when Jesus said, let's go down to Jerusalem for the Passover, his disciples said, why? They're out to kill you. Jesus' authority, his teaching, the miracles he was performing were a threat to the authorities. And so his disciples said, don't go down. He said, no, it is my time. And Thomas said, one of the other disciples, he said, let us go down with him that we may die with him. They loved Jesus. But here Peter came. He was ready to fight. He was ready to follow. But he did not know what the meaning of the cross was. He was not expecting. The other disciples, they were not expecting. Here Jesus, who they finally understood was the Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed one, that he was going to die. That did not make sense. So here Peter is there. And Jesus. He's followed Jesus. He's faithful enough. Jesus has been arrested. He's coming, uh, or coming to, to trial. Peter's waiting out. And he's asked three times, Oh, aren't you? You're from Galilee too. Aren't you a follower of him? And he, three times, he says no. Right? And you know, we would do the same, right? Because it's like, Peter was ready, for, he was ready for a death in battle following Jesus. He wasn't ready for the kind of death that Jesus would have on the cross, with common thieves, next to him. He wasn't ready for that. So he just did the line, he just did this automatic black homo. I'm not with him. I know Jesus had told Peter ahead of time he was going to do this. Peter did not believe him. And so then at that last moment, when the cock, cock crowed, right, and Jesus looks at Peter, and Peter knows, and he goes out and he weeps. Because to him, the meaning of the cross at that moment, he didn't understand it. At that moment, it looked like failure. Right? There were Messiah, there were other would-be messiahs in first century Judea, uh, and their movements ended when they died. This is why the authorities wanted to kill Jesus. Right? He put the man to death, and his followers scattered. And that's what Peter thought was happening. He thought it was a defeat. Now here, we ourselves, here 2,000 years on almost, we are proof that it was not a defeat of the followers of Jesus Christ. Why not? How did it succeed? Right? Peter saw, all he saw there, the meaning of the cross to him was, this is failure. And yet here we are thousands of years on, thousands of miles away, drawn as we are from countries all over the earth, to remember what Jesus did on the cross, because the meaning of the cross has power. What is that power? I want to give two, two answers to why the power of the cross has succeeded, and what it means. The first is this term, is this, this, this term sacrifice. If you're following in these passages, these careful readings of scripture that have been laid out in the service, you hear this, these terms from the Old Testament of sacrifice. A price needs to be paid when there's wrongdoing. A friend of mine in Princeton, um, he had a brother 
uh, in the Marines uh, in, in Afghanistan. And uh, his brother, being a, um, a good, strong Christian soldier in his Marine Corps, he was the one entrusted uh, to carry the money. They carried it with them. Uh, he had 40,000 US dollars on right? This this soldier, this Marine. Why was he carrying 40 grand in $100 bills, tax $100 bills? You know, when I first heard that from him, he was visiting Princeton and his brother, and I was like, oh, that's not safe. And then I'm like, oh, he's in the Marines, they're at war. You know, the least of his worries was people trying to rob him um, for the money. But why did he carry money? Well, if they, you know, say in a bombing or some incident, someone was killed unintentionally, like collateral damage, they would make a payment to the family, which is accepted culturally. So it's his job to carry the money to pay the price. That's an age-old thing in cultures all over the world. You pay the price. When there's a wrong done, you need to pay a price. Now money, money is what we have. So that's like the best you can do. You know, we didn't mean to do it, well, here's some money. And that at least absolved the family members in that cultural context from being bound to exact vengeance, from being bound to exact the price in blood. They were willing to accept a price in money in place of exacting a price in blood. But there's a price that needs to be paid. That whole system in the Old Testament, maybe you don't understand that, but there's this whole system, right? Sacrificing the temple, that's where the temple existed. You go and you take animals, because we, here's the real challenge. A price needs to be paid, and all of us, all of us need to be paying that price. All of us, at some point in our lives, at least we're in a moment culturally, actually, in America, where there's a great deal of moral outrage at wrongdoing. And, there's, there's no shortage of things we should be outraged. There are all manner of things that exist, but the challenge is it always comes home at some point. Right? It comes home. That price comes around. This is the challenge with uh, that system of seeking vengeance by blood. It goes in this circle. Someone kills a member of your family, so you kill a member of their family, and on and on it goes. And you know, we do the same. We're thankful here we are in nice civilized Princeton. We don't run around murdering each other, I hope. Don't even shoplift, maybe. We keep our sins nice and respectable and secret pride, um, envy, whatever it may be in your heart. But nonetheless, when we are, when we feel hurt, when we feel done wrong by, it is amazing the kind of price we want to exact from each other. Right? We see it. We want to say about the wrongs that we ourselves feel, ah, it's no big deal, just forget it. No price needs to be paid, money, money, let alone blood. No price needs to be paid. This is the message of all of Scripture to us. There needs to be a sacrifice for sin. That's a hard thing. You know, it's like we don't make sacrifices anymore because Jesus, because of Jesus' sacrifice. We don't run out, oh, I gotta go get a lamb, a pure unblemished lamb. I shed its blood on the altar. Why? Because Jesus did it. Well, let me explain that. There's a price. This is the power of the cross. How did this succeed more so? Because this is the message of the cross, the success of the Christian faith, such as it is through the years, through cultures and across time and place. Its resilience comes in this, this message of the cross. It's not one of the political or economic power exerted. Jesus had that. No, it's this. He was willing to pay that price for us. So this is a price for sin. This is specific. What's the worst kind of wrongdoing? It's that we live in a world created by God, a good God, and the wrong that we do is a violation, it's a rebellion of what we were designed for. So this is what is wrong with the world. And who paid the price for that? It's Jesus. We'd say, what we want to say is that, well, God, God is powerful. We could just wave his hand, which he could. We could just speak his voice. That's how he spoke the world into being, just by his voice. He could just say, well, you're forgiven, like an emperor on his throne. 
But this is the power of the cross. He sent his own son to die, to pay the price. So there's justice. We don't have to look at the world and say, oh, God just forgot it. Look at all the, all the wrong that's been done, that just continues to be done. Oh, God just ignored it. He didn't ignore it. He put his own son forward, spotless and unblemished, perfect and righteous, to die on the cross for you and I. So that when we, when we come before the judgment throne of God, we can be forgiven. We can be washed clean, not by our own good deeds, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. That sacrifice once for all. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament, you get this in the Old Testament prophets, what did they avail, what did they accomplish? And they just kept going on and on. They pointed there's a need for one true good sacrifice. And this, this power of the cross, this is a more powerful weapon than a sword. Because it cuts not the body, but the soul. It cuts the soul. And it says, while I was yet his enemy, he died for me. Jesus says this. He said this to his disciples after the Lord's Supper, the night on which he was betrayed. He said, greater love has no man than this to die for his friends. Jesus did, he did one bad thing. He died for his enemies. Die for example. It's a hard word. And his disciples, they didn't understand that. And they, there was a abundant example we're about to read from Isaiah 53 that the Messiah, God's anointed one, needed to suffer. And by his stripes we are healed. He bore the price for our iniquities. It was there in the scripture. It was laid out. The whole sacrificial system the temple pointed to. And it found its answer in Jesus Christ. This is the power of the cross that he died for your sins. Do you feel? Do you understand? kind of love that it is to be willing to sacrifice for another person. To be willing to sacrifice. Maybe, maybe you have maybe you have that from your parents. Maybe you have it from friends. Maybe you have it from a significant other. That sacrifice for this it's scarcely we dare to sacrifice for people we love, people we're related to by blood. Scarcely we dare. That's what Paul says in Romans. Jesus died on he died for us. What does he ask of us? He doesn't ask for us, of us our money. Well, he does, but in a direct way. To perform a whole lot of rituals for him. This is, this is the, 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 the ask. It's to humble ourselves. This is, this is so simple, yet so hard. Humble yourself. I need Jesus on the cross back in my sins. Me too. I thank you, Lord, for dying for me. It's that repentance is the church word we use. That I turn away from that rebellion against you, Lord. And I trust not in my own merit, not in how awesome I am, but I trust in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for my forgiveness. And from that flows indeed every good thing. Indeed, a transform must flow, should flow, a transformed life. This is the power of the cross. It cuts to the quick. It cuts to the soul. One other thing I want to say. Second, about why it wasn't a defeat. Because Peter saw it as a defeat. You know, even after Jesus had died, and there they were, the disciples, they were depressed. They were gathered together. And some of the followers of Jesus, some of the women had gone on Sunday morning to the tomb uh, at dawn. And they found it open and empty. They thought Jesus had been stolen away. They asked. They found it. The angel there, as it turned out, talking to them. They thought, oh, refugee. They thought it was some, someone had taken away the body. And so this is the second thing. Why? How did it turn around for the disciples? Why was this the end of their movement? Because we look at their lives, and then they went on. They scattered all over the world. Thomas went, 
Armenia, down to Thomas as he's called, he went east to India. People went north to Armenia and south to Egypt. They went west uh, through the Mediterranean. And they lived out their faith, not for money, which they didn't have. They died gruesome deaths, most of them. John made it to old age in exile. And they did it witnessing to this the greatest gift of all, that Jesus died for their sins. Because he told them himself he rose from the dead. This, you can't self-pedal this. He walked out of that grave and he spoke to them. They said hundreds of them. They said, we are at witnesses. We talked to them. So it's not just that he died on the cross for our sins, he also rose. Now I'm getting ahead of the, I'm getting ahead of the game, that's the point. <laughs> Come back, 6.30 a.m., Chris Salvador, and the sunrise service will be back on the service afterwards. But they talked to him. This, that's a real challenge. And Bart Ehrman, the, no friend of the Christian faith, but a prominent uh, biblical scholar, Bart Ehrman has a book out. Uh, why did Christianity succeed? You know, we struggle with this question as a historian because at least you know that the Da Vinci Code narrative, like some conspiracy hatched by Constantine in the fourth century or whatnot. No, I mean, these people believed it. These disciples, they believed it. They lived their lives. Saying, why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. He died for their sins and he rose to the good eternal life. This is what is offered on offer to you now. Do you know the love of Jesus for you tonight? Do you know it? This is what I hope you're seeing in Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. It could be a hard moment on Friday because we take a moment and we think of our sins put him on that cross. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. It's good to dwell on for, for, for at least a bit. But it doesn't end there. He died not just so that you could come and guilty, scrape your way into the kingdom of God. He died that you would be washed clean and you become a son and daughter, a co heir. In the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless you would bless these words from your scripture, these words sung to our hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, for each person here who is a follower of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that we would not grow weary, would not grow apathetic at this great, this amazing gift, this greatest gift of love that Jesus died in our place. Heavenly Father, may that cut us to the quick. May that convict us. Heavenly Father, may your spirit not leave us just get nearly convicted, but lift us up from that, Heavenly Father. Fill us with that hope and that peace that comes from being right with you. Fill us, Heavenly Father, with that overflowing joy and energy, that desire to respond to the love you have for us in service, faithful service to your kingdom, in obedience your will. Heavenly Father, bless this service as we continue to worship you, to hear your words spoken, to respond in song and in praise. And bless us as we go through this Easter and through the Lord's Day, through Sunday morning, when we rose from the dead. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.